The Frequency 49 show is brought to you by Niner Empire GB. Welcome to the Frequency 49 show. I'm Kat Victorino, and joining me today are Simon Holdsworth and Deepak Gohill. Hey, guys. Hi, everyone. Hi, everybody. So last week, this past Sunday, the 49ers decided to travel to their southern home in Los Angeles and take on the Los Angeles Rams. Um, Final score, 27-24. In the final minute, 24 seconds of overtime, winning it was Ambry Thomas on that beautiful pick off of Matt Stafford in the final minute. Oh, my God, you guys. This game, I was such a roller coaster. I thought you would have had to institutionalize me after this game. <laughs> Do you know, there's, there's not many games where you literally go through every single emotion at its highest level or lowest level as a sports fanatic. And um, I think this was one of those games where you really did go through every single feeling of complete despair to hope to despair again and then elation and then just winning our home game against the Rams, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like I was getting gaslighted after a while. It was um, it, it was a bit strange, wasn't it, Deepak? I think Deepak nailed it with every single emotion. There was, there was hope, then frustration, then just anger, then hatred, and then hope again, and then disappointment, and then, ooh, what's going on here? And then just, but the final one, it was, it was ecstasy. It was... It was a brilliant way to win a game. Um, and as you like to say, Deepak, we should now call SoFi Lefi Stadium. Yeah. But you know what, though? These games are only good fun when you watch them after they're over, like a repeat, you know, or a recording. If you're watching it live, it can really take it out of people emotionally. And uh, it's not good for mental or physical health games like this. It's, it's not good for my bob and stockpile either. That took a hammering on Sunday. <laughs> Well, we once again, the first half was um, nothing to write home about. And it was after, it was in the last minute of the first half when we scored our first three points that really got the ball rolling, right? Yeah. And I think Shanahan knew that if we didn't get something, anything out of that first half, we'd be in big trouble, both psychologically and in terms of trying to eke something out of the game in the second half if we didn't get something so. And it was quite unusual because you don't usually see Shanahan go for points towards the end of a half, very rarely. So he went out, well, he went all in for the points, you know. So um, I think that was a difference maker. I, th I think it was pivotal to how the game went. And I, I don't necessarily think we realised it at the time because there's been so many times where we've, we've got in situations like that and either just knelt out, like you say, um, and it felt disappointing given the drive that we had to settle for a field goal. And I think I was... A little bit disappointed that we only got three points, but the momentum that that carried into the into the locker room at half time and whatever adjustments both we made on both sides of the ball because the second half was unreal and just a complete opposite of what we'd seen in the first half. But Simon, did you not think that points was the only way we were going to try and get any sort of momentum? I mean, even like a defensive turnover, like an interception or a fumble return. Even if we got one of those but didn't net anything out of it, 
it just a field goal would have been enough to give us just that little bit of an impetus. It had to be points, nothing else. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. Well, and then the third quarter started, and um, we have another new quarterback in Debo Samuel. Uh, <laughs> he threw the first touchdown of the third quarter. Yeah, that guy's going to get paid. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, Talk yeah. about a utility player. That that drive was a thing of beauty, though, wasn't it? Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Oh, hey, look, they're running again. Oh, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Debo can really, you know, I I know we're biased and we've got our red and gold tints on, but it would be hard pressed to say, you know, who else could you really put in against him for NFL MVP this year? He's really having that sort of season, isn't he? He's just phenomenal. You know, he's just astonishing what he does every game. He's a difference maker, but he's the difference maker in every facet of the offense. It's it's he's not he's not just a receiver making a difference. He's lining up in the backfield. He's setting the tone with his running game. He's taking short slants and 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 running over people. He's running round people. He's jumping over people. It's it's it's. I've never. I don't think I've ever seen a player so multifaceted. It's unbelievable. And not only that, it's his attitude. He's smiling. He's genuinely enjoying playing. You know, he's. It's not like work for him. It's like he's loving it. He's enjoying every second of being out on that field and doing whatever it is that's asked of him to do and improvise when he has to because I think he did have to improvise on one of Garoppolo's throws. So he, he just loves playing, and it's so, so nice to see that, a football player just really enjoying himself out there and, and not only being exceptional, but also enjoying it because that attitude rubs off on other people. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Well, Debo went four catches for 95 yards with an average yak of 223.8 yards. Oh boy. And his long was 43 rushing. He was eight for 45, an average run of 5.6 yards, a long of 16, one touchdown and passing. He was one for one, 24 yards, one touchdown, a 158.3 passer rating. I believe that is just about perfect. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's not going to be long before we see him lining up on defense, is it? As a, it'd be a brilliant, it'd be a brilliant safety, wouldn't it? It'd be a brilliant safety. Cat uh, probably won't understand this, but Simon definitely will. If Carlsberg did a football player, that'd be him, wouldn't it? He's a Carlsberg football player, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and but he, and he, he's, he's quite diminutive, I think, in his stature. But he plays like the biggest bloke on the pitch. He's, he, he's. I've never seen a player like it. I mean, you know, Cordero Patterson kind of broke onto the scene and tried to do that, but Debo has just elevated that to a, a new level. And what can we say about Jawan Jennings? He went six catches, 94 yards, 15.7 yard average, along of 34, two touchdown catches, including one from his quarterback, Debo Samuel. And you know, Jawan Jennings is an, an amazing story because I think we drafted him in the seventh round, if I'm not mistaken. He was a late, he's a very late pick, barely made the 53 man roster, but he worked, worked so hard. To, to stay in the team and now he's contributing. He got given his opportunity and he, and he really shone. And, you know, I'm really proud of him because he took his chance and, and uh, pardon the pun, but he ran with it. You know, He did. <laughs> I, 
I think I said on, on, on the pod a few weeks ago, he's a, he's a big-bodied receiver and he's got a different skill set to anybody else that we've got on the team. He's, he's kind of given us what we thought um, Hurd would give us. Obviously, he was, he was perennially injured, so never got the opportunity. Um, but I, I don't know if any of you listened to um, George Kittle's post-match interview. And he said that Joanne Jennings is probably the most energetic guy in the locker room, even though he'd not been getting the reps, even though he'd not been, you know, featuring. He said he everybody kind of buzzes off him. So the fact now that he's contributing on the field as well as obviously behind the scenes what he's been doing, everybody just spoke so glowingly about him. So as you as you said, Deepak, he's he's grabbed his chance, he's going with it, and he made some clutch, clutch, clutch pillars on Sunday. And he has been doing for the last six or seven games, it seems, not had many involvements, but what he's been doing has been important. First downs, touchdowns, and that's all he deals with. And I think the other important thing to notice here is um, it wasn't a name that rolled off everybody's mouths, you know, earlier on in the season. He's coming good at probably the most critical time in the season where you have to be good, you know. This is the time when you raise your game for the playoffs and it's teams that are on the upswing right now are the ones that nobody wants to play against, and especially if they're so talent-stacked. Nobody had heard of this kid until now, you know, and now all of a sudden he's somebody that's going to be on everyone's radar, you know, and that really gives an opportunity for those that are already on everyone's radar to wreak even more mayhem and carnage and whatnot, you know. This is a very powerful team we have. Well, it's perfect. It's, it's perfect finals footy, isn't it? It's it's people like him who come to the fore when you, it's a one-off game and you're trying to build um, game plans and things like that. And people will always try and concentrate on nullifying your biggest threats. And if you've got people who perhaps are a little bit under the radar, who are absolutely stepping up and making the big clutch plays, then it's a winning it's a winning formula for for, for moving through and onto the onto the big dance. Yeah, hundred percent, Simon. And this this guy's a revelation. I mean. You know, let's just hope um, his best is still yet to come because what he produced on Sunday was staggering, in my opinion. You know, considering. it was a breakout. It was a career game for him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, and then you've got him and Ayuk taking the pressure off of Kittle. If we can get Sherfield in there, all of a sudden, defense are looking at all these other people. Kittle becomes a threat again because they're going to have to pull somebody off of Kittle. Kittle's always a threat because even when he's not catching the ball, he's he's doing pancake blocks. He loves <laughs> he loves blocking. I know. <laughs> you know. And I think unfairly people say, well, you know, he, he needs to contribute more. And, and I would say, in what facet of the game? Because he's involved in every single down that he plays in, and a lot of plays work simply because he's on the field. So his contribution is for me perpetual. Absolutely, and and just going back to that that wide receiver core that has been a bit has been quite much maligned, hasn't it, over the last few seasons? We've not really had a good group of receivers. We might have had the odd one who's who's played well, but there wasn't any real depth there. And I think Ayuk has obviously had his early problems for whatever reason that was, and what we don't really know what happened with with Shani, but he's almost going under the radar now, and he's contributing. You know, he had over a hundred yards catching on. Um, uh, on, on Sunday and, and Trent Sherfield who was probably one of the guys who was stepping up early doors has been relegated to you know way down the depth chart but yet still comes up with a, a clutch catch on third down for a first down on when we were when we were deep in our own territory so everything's pointing towards you know a, a good long deep playoff run we can hope I know and it's really weird because we've got 
some real ball hawking receivers and running backs that you know there's only a finite amount of plays each of them can do you know and they all capable of a big play and they all want the ball and it's a problem that I would have loved us to have had over the last five or six years and now we finally have a problem about who we give the ball to and how many times you know and hopefully we can have this problem for a while yeah yeah, I was saying it's easy. when you've got when you've got multiple targets and when your quarterback is comfortable throwing to any of those targets, that's really when the off defenses start opening up because they can't cover everybody. And if you've got a quarterback that can read through progressions, which you know, I think I I, I put in the group sort of halfway through that game. I don't ever want to see Jimmy in a 49 shirt ever again. And either if someone showed him and it's incentivized him, but you can't fault him in the second half. He was flawless and he was really, really, really clutch. You can't. And um, Simon, I think the other thing that would be remiss not to mention is that we did this without Trent Williams. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we did this without Trent Williams. So Garoppolo would have had perhaps questionably an even better second half. I mean, like you said, he was lights out second half, but. He needed to be, and that's not a dig at him. I think everybody needed to be lights out second half, and everybody was. You know, it was one of those things that we love to say so much, but we hardly get to see it. Is complementary football, offense, defense, and special teams all came out to play in the second half. Talk about special teams. Wisnowski got injured. He's under concussion protocol. Robbie Gold took over the punting duties and punted twice for an average of forty-five yards. <laughs> <laughs> did what, what was required of him and asked and, and we asked him to do you know and I think that applies to everybody including Jimmy Garoppolo I mean I was just as frustrated as Simon was you know that was this guy but when it came to it you know the ask was big but the delivery was also big it matched the ask you know so you, you really have to respect people and players who can dig that deep and come back completely Completely. And, and, and another thing that would be remiss of mentioning is probably even though no matter what Debo's done this season, I think there is one player who is just pipping him for my player of the season. And I think you may agree with me, Deepak, and that's Elijah Mitchell. What a pickup that guy is. We didn't even say the M word. We mentioned all these guys and not Elijah Mitchell. Another one who had a breakout game, a career game. And, and again, I think this is one of those guys where this might just be the norm. This might this might not be a one-off game for somebody like him. This might be a bog-standard game for him, and that's terrifying, you know, terrifying. And I am actually going to throw the props entirely, 100%, at Elijah Mitchell because I've seen on Twitter people saying, you know, that's a credit to Shani's running offense and scheming. It, you don't need to be a stud running back to execute his plays. I'm thinking... Actually, I think you do need to be a pretty damn good running back. Yeah, to execute some of these plays. <laughs> he, 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 they're right to a certain extent, but Elijah Mitchell leads the NFL in yards after contact, and and that is where his strength is. And and let's not forget, he missed six games, and he he rushed for what is it, eight hundred and sixty yards on the season, something silly like that. Going back to that comment though about you don't need to be a great back to to execute if you execute Shani's schemes and you know misdirects and counters properly you don't need to be an all-world running back I think Shani does deserve some credit for that you know it just so he did it with um who's that kid breeder Mostert it's really back and shove into that system they're gonna they're gonna hit it and go you know they're gonna 
But for the most part, they're speed guys who hit a hole, aren't they? You know, what, what I'm impressed with Mitchell is, is that he does the hard yards as well. He does the, the straight up the gut, the A and B gap runs. And he, you know, there was one run that he, that he did on, on Sunday where he, he got hit on right at the line of scrimmage, span out of it, and then just lowered his helmet and ran over somebody. And it was about seven or eight yard gain. And for momentum, those things are invaluable. Do you know, Simon, that play was incredible, wasn't it? Because he thought he's got himself one or two on this play and he ended up getting eight on that particular carry and he just yeah. going. Do you remember that hit um, Debo took? He got his bell rung. Oh, he did. <laughs> on the sidelines. But that oh, from Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, I mean, he got his bell rung. I watched that and my bell was ringing. I was like, my God, I hope he's all right. He's not broken in two or something underneath that uniform. But that run that you described by Mitchell, it is Elijah Mitchell, isn't it? You know, he, he wants those yards. He's going to get those yards. And you're going to have to work stupidly hard to stop him from getting them. It was, it was a, the epitome of, of hard work and talent. You know, it's not all graft. This guy's got real talent too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, then looking at the defense, who we haven't really talked, but they played hard that first half and were gassed by the beginning of the second half. But Bosa ended up finishing the season with 15 and a half sacks, fourth in the NFL. The man's a beast. I mean. <laughs> did, 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 you, did you see the picture? There's a picture of, I think it might be, um, I can't remember, it might, it's, it's, Arden Key, I think, and Eric Armstead, and they're they've got hold of. Um... Oh, come on, Simon, quarterback. <laughs> the Rams quarterback. I keep wanting to say Sam Bradford. It's not Sam Bradford, is it? Stafford. It's Matthew Stafford, and and Paul Nick Bosa has got four Rams linemen just pied him away. And he, he's just like, but that's what that's Pat. He's got fifteen and a half sacks, and that's the kind of crap that he's having to deal with on a game, every game, you know. The the, the the pressure um, that our offensive line, uh, sorry, our defensive line created in that second half, it looked like we were going to sack um, Stafford every every bloody down. They were unbelievable. They were relentless, well, absolutely they, relentless. They hit Stafford thirteen times, sacked him five times, and the Rams had entered this game with the number one pl- pass block win rate in the NFL. So um, I think that's pretty damn good that we were able to get there that often. Well, I think the loss of K1 Williams was big, and and and, and I think that Sean McVeigh had had seen that, and and Dante Johnson was having a really tough time covering Cooper Cup, wasn't he, in the first half? Who just seemed to just seemed to run the show, and I think he made credit to Demeco Ryan's. He made adjustments, and he either he decided, well. You know, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to get to Stafford. Or, but if, I also think he made some adjustments in the secondary as well because Cooper Cup in the second half, other than the touchdown, didn't really feature. And neither did um, Beckham. Beckham Junior. He he really didn't make his mark like that. Oh wait, is he on the Rams? Yeah, and the thing is, <laughs> these are the sort of games where they paid the money for those guys to come out to play in. You know. I mean, this what happened on Sunday could quite easily be Rams Cardinals or any playoff game that they have. <laughs> you know, this, all this money that they're front loaded is going to go down the toilet to win the Super Bowl. They're going to be in trouble in a couple of seasons. 
and you can't always buy the Super Bowl. <laughs> no, well, where was that? Where was Aaron Donald? They made a yeah. of it, I've got to give them the juice for that. They, they made a real go of it. But uh, no, they're not going to win the Vince Lombardi Trophy this year. That's not for them. Not, not in my lifetime anyway. I can't see it happening. And I love this fact. With When L.A. had the ball leading late in the fourth quarter, the 49ers had a lower probability to win this game, 0.4%, than New England had to come back from down 28-3. Um, this game marked only the fourth time in the past 30 years that the 49ers have overcome a deficit of 17 points or more to win. And you know what? I think for this team, that kind of win, come from behind win, is essential for their morale. Uh, I mean, I remember uh, towards the end of the game, the Rams were on third down, and uh, that was basically Garoppolo's last game in a 49er uniform. If we didn't convert the third down, that would have been it, you know. Uh, and yeah, we um, we came out and found found a way to do it. Uh, I don't know if you guys look at ESPN, but it gives you a continuous percent win probability. And even at the end of right towards the end of the the fourth quarter, we were still unfavored to win that game. You know, and wow. then it sort of went a bit wobbly after overtime. Like, <laughs> but 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 they have flash signs of having. You know the guts. Whereas early on in the season we were capitulating. The, the the Bengals game comes to mind as well, where we nearly threw that away, and the Bengals took it to overtime, and we won in overtime. And we said at the time that might be a bit of a a, a landmark game in the fact that they can readjust and reset and go again. And you know, from from the adversity that they they faced on on Sunday to come back and win and win in that ma- manner, they must feel ten feet tall. But do you not think, Simon, that you know this is a team that's not only peaking at the peaking as we're getting along, but peaking at exactly the right time? You know, we're now granted it's an away game, but it's still a very winnable game in Texas. You know, and and we're getting healthy as well, Dip. Yeah, and healthy. Yeah, we we don't really have the injuries we had to contend with in 2019. You know, we've we've got players that are genuine playmakers now. You know, we've got a defense that's lights out. I think the only question mark we've really got right now is special teams, but even they came up big on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, in the face of adversity again. Yeah, you know, so that's a sign of a good team. You know, it means the guys must be motivated. They must be happy and proud, rightly so, of of what they produced on Sunday. I think that was our season changer was the very last game of the season and I bet Roger Goodell is like smiling ear to ear with a shitting grin on his face because he extended <laughs> the season and it worked. Mark's first question, wouldn't it be great if we saw the catch for an exact replica of the original catch? Uh, not in those circumstances. I mean, you know, if we made a miracle catch and we ended up winning 47-3 or something, then it's not, <laughs> not going to have the same edge as if we won you know, 28, 24 or something. So, no, I don't want another heartbreaker. I just want to blow up and enjoy it. I just want to, I want to pummel, pummel them into the dirt. I want to beat the shit out of them as Tom <laughs> Yeah. As, as Tom Rathman said, the 49 Absolutely. Smash mouth football. So, a serious question he has. Are the Cowboys as good as the pundits say they are? Or is it all because they're just the Cowboys? 
Um, I think they are a very good team. I think if you start going around disrespecting your opponents, you're going to ask for trouble. But that said, <laughs> they are a good team. But you know what? I bet you if you asked all the coaches in the NFC, which team would you least want to play in the playoffs right now, they'll all say us, <laughs> right? They would all say us. So, yeah, the Cowboys are good, but they're not formidable. In fact, there isn't a single team that I think is truly formidable, apart from maybe Tampa Bay, and that's just because of the Brady factor. No other reason. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Cowboys, like I say, their their record is a little bit skewed. I think if they've come up against anybody of note, then they've not struggled, but they've certainly not walked away with games um, like they have done. They've beaten the teams they should beat, and they've beaten them well. Their, their offense is quite high powered. Their defense is very Jekyll and Hyde, so they can be they can be lights out, or they can be you know, come in and do whatever you want kind of thing, you know. But think about this, right? For a team like that, there's six gimmies in a div- already before they've even kicked a ball, right? Two against the Eagles, two against Washington, and two against the Giants. Look at our division. Three out of four qualified for the damn playoffs. Right. <laughs> you know, and the best didn't even win that division, right? <laughs> so... And, and you can argue, people can argue amongst themselves who that might be, but there isn't any parity there. And you are right; they have had a cupcake schedule. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And look at our we've had to play some tough games, you know. Well, absolutely, and, and like you said, Deepak, no one is going to want to face the 49ers in the playoffs because everyone might beat you. And B, if you if you beat us, you know you've been in a bloody game, and it doesn't bode well for the week after. <laughs> No, it definitely does not, you know. But I think um, there's no reason why we should have any fear whatsoever going into 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 Texas. We can win this. 100% we can win this. So Kevin Herbert and Nathaniel James both want to know if Jimmy's going to be around next year. Has he done enough to save his job? I don't think it's really about that. I think it's about can we afford him and would we want to pay elite money for knowing what that we're not really going to get an elite quarterback. I, I agree. I, I, I don't have really anything to add that. I think I think the, the decision's already been made. I think it would be a, a nice way to bow out for, for Jimmy and, his, and sort of increase his own stock so he might get more of a choice of where, to where he goes next. But I don't think, even if we win the Super Bowl, I don't think he'll stay. No, and even if you sort of leveraged a a, payers, a performance-related heavy deal, that I, I might be more open to that than paying him $25 million for a year so Lance can mature under him. I think the one that's going to suffer out of all of this is probably Trey Lance. He needs that continuation of a steady QB1. And uh, it's either going to be a veteran free agent who's going to start next season or they might just give Trey Lance the keys to the car after the after one year, I don't know. I'm old school. Cat, we are. We know that Steve Young sat for three years before he yep. got on the field. So exactly. maybe in, in the modern NFL, you've got you know your Max and your Sunshine from Jacksonville all starting already. You know, so maybe this is the time to start Lance. I personally don't think he's ready. And somebody did say that. You know, do you think Lance would be ready for this game? Who would you have, Jimmy or Trey Lance, to start? And I didn't even hesitate. I'm not a fan of his at all, as, you, as everybody knows. But it has to be Garoppolo for this game. Well, Martin Hughes asked that. You know, who would we have won if Trey was in? And I agree. I don't. I don't think Trey could have handled the pressure yet. I think he still needs more seasoning. 
I don't necessarily think that they we could have been in as big a hole if we'd have started Trey Lance because obviously a lot of that was was kind of Jimmy orientated. But I don't. But I also don't think that when, like you say, when they when they come to the real crunch and the clutch, I don't think Trey's mature enough for that situation yet. But do you remember, Sai, we needed Garoppolo to close a 98-yard drive. He only took us 95 yards. This is the first time I've really seen him be proper clutch. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He certainly wasn't clutch two years ago. Or even earlier in the season. No, 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 absolutely. So Dee wants to know if, you know, since we need to win four straight to get our hands on number six, is it possible with our erratic quarterback? Uh, I'm going to answer my own question. I knew you would. (laughs) I think think yes, for the simple fact that, you know, we did that in 2019. And I do think the team is sufficiently talent stacked and supporters of Jimmy Garoppolo might not like this, but I don't care because this is the truth. This, the offense and the defense will carry him on their back and get it done if necessary. They'll take that passenger, which is Garoppolo, and do it regardless. You know, it would help if he could contribute, and he's shown that he can contribute now and contribute in a way that his contribution without it, we wouldn't have won on Sunday night. That's a material fact. You know, he had to do what he did for us to win. Without what he did, we would not have won the game. So we've seen that he can do it, but if he can't do it or he fails to do it, I still think the running backs, the offensive line, and especially the defense will be enough to get us over the line and and do it, I don't see no reason why not. No, I don't. I think I think we'll be able to run the ball on this Dallas defense. I think the um they I think they they lead the league in interceptions, but they also lead the league in big plays lost. So you can you can move the ball on them. Um, I don't necessarily think that Shani will take many risks. You know, Trayvon Diggs is a bit of a ball hawk, and I think he'll eliminate as much risk as possible. So I just think I just see us running the rock. I really do, and stomping a mud hole in, in, in Dallas. Daniel Jacob Christensen Jr. wants to know, will there be more 49er fans in Dallas than Dallas fans? There already is. <laughs> Jerry Jones is trying to stop the club from selling tickets to Niner fans, but he, he's got no control over the resale market of tickets. No. Well, there's... They started straight away, didn't they, on, on Twitter and social media, the Cowboys fans, do not sell your tickets uh-huh. to Niners fans. I know that I know we'll definitely be louder. Um Bonnie's Bonnie's heading over. She's gonna be there already, so I know she'll yep. be she'll be shouting loud and proud. Her alone will be louder than the entire Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But there will be a huge, huge takeover. I've got messages and texts from a lot of the Empire saying, you know, we wish you British guys would join us for something like this and I I'm like, you know what? I would give anything to be able to come and do something like that. We'll be very, very well represented in in Texas. Yeah. Did you see? Did anyone see the um, the interview with McVeigh yesterday? And he said that the the, the amount of red and the noise in in SoFi Stadium had actually had an effect, effect which was just brilliant. It was supposed to, bro. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know. You know when the Rams. Rams were on third down and that stadium was banging. <laughs> oh my God, it was so loud. Yeah. Well, that's the thing the Niner fans have proved, the Empire has proved over the last few years, we show up no matter where. Yeah, we do travel very, very well. Well, 
here we go. Wild card weekend, Sunday afternoon. We're heading to Dallas. Uh, currently, the Cowboys lead the series against the 49ers 19-17-1. Uh, the Cowboys won the last three meetings and seven of the last nine. The Cowboys have won five of the seven postseason meetings. Yeah, that hurts. The last was a 38-28 victory for the San Francisco 49ers in the 1994 NFC Championship game, quarterbacked by my man, Steve Young. That was the monkey off the back game, wasn't it? Yeah, that was The Super man. Bowl was the monkey off the back game. Our man, our man. Our man. Well, you know, my husband knows I would leave him for Steve, but, you know. This is an old joke between us. <laughs> <laughs> this rivalry is is really, really uh, is storied. You know, it's it goes back before the catch. It goes back well into the seventies. We've had dinged off these guys for nigh on fifty years. You know, and it's just a little sad that it sort of died down because <clears throat> we haven't made the playoffs and they haven't made the playoffs. Or, they make the playoffs and they're out in round one as usual, you know. So it's the, it, it is for me. If I could choose which team I wanted to play in the first round, it would be them, you know. Ideally, it would be the NFC Championship game, so we could really kick our asses and make them cry. But you cry all the same in the playoffs, don't you? And the, it's, you're one and done. If you lose, you you go home, and it's a long, long, long off season. Oh boy, yeah. And to make to make it worse, my brother Nick is a Cowboys fan, so <gasps> oh, bless me. Cowboys fans, and uh, yeah, I'm going to give him a lot of shit talk and then hide if the worst happens. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they I think we all... an awful lot of shit talk from me. They're going to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> The last time we met the Cowboys, uh, it was a 41-33 win for the Cowboys in week 15 of the 2020 year uh, at AT&T Stadium. That's the game that saw the Niners going into the fourth quarter. Well, we were level going into the fourth quarter before that 40-yard Tony Pollard touchdown and a CD Lamb kickoff return that helped pull the Cowboys away. Arr! Yeah, we really hate the Cowboys in this house. I don't know about y'all. Cowboys did beat the Eagles in Philadelphia last week, 51 to 26, giving them a 12 and five record. Good for first in the NFC East. But like it I was, said, it was, the, it was a depth chart. Eagles though, wasn't it? Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> so guys, I don't know about you, but I am going to be an absolute basket case on Sunday. <laughs> the case now can't um you know i've been watching and this is great youtube is such a godsend a lot of the old games that we've had against the cowboys and you know and it's man and some role because they covered a lot of the uh, nfc games in particular you know and you you get to watch them and we get to see those guys we get to see rice and craig and lot and montana and steve young going against you know the upcoming cowboys and i was at the nfc championship game in 90 19, well, January 93, they beat us 30 to 20. And it was symbolic in some ways because it started Dallas's domination in the 90s. You know? Yeah. And, and they were a good team. You know, Michael Irwin, uh, the, Troy Aikman, all those guys. Emmett Smith. Yeah, 
and the it, it was the you're literally talking about a who's who that are all all pros and in the Hall of Fame, talking about the best of the best that have ever played the game. So, you know, the, this it's it's not about being a basket case for Sunday. I'm a basket case right now. <laughs> I'm watching the films. I'm reading the articles. I'm reading the books. I've got three books about that rivalry. You know, listen to this probably after the game, but, you know, I, I implore anyone, if you've got the old 45 minutes or an hour spare, get on YouTube and look at some of these old games from the 70s and 80s and 90s. And uh, and it's a different game to what we see today. It was it was much slower in those days, but it was brutal. It was like something from Gladiator. You know, it was savage. A lot slower. Today's guys are 10 times bigger and 10 times faster but they're not allowed to hit like those guys could, you know. And Charles Haley was the difference maker, wasn't he? Well, he mm-hmm. played for them. Exactly, yeah. Yep. He was with us, we won, and then he went to them and they won. It was, yeah. That's like Dion Sanders. He did exactly the yep. same. He left us, got the ring, and then went there to get a ring. Yeah, he did, yeah. yeah. But, but it, it is really worth investing a half an hour just to see how it was how the games were called up in the stands, you know, and the reactions of the fans and everything. It's the same game, but different. I'm not going to say it's worse or better, but it's just really nostalgic for people like me. Well, you'll see how the game has evolved because the one thing when we were in in Florida a couple weeks ago and uh, John Madden had passed while we were there and NFL Network was doing this whole celebration of him and showing the old games, um, it just reminded me how how much a lot of the the rules that the players have to abide by now were based on some of those John Madden Raider teams. <laughs> but you see the progression of how you know these rules and how the gameplay has changed through the years when you go back and watch some of those old games. It's really a great recommendation, Dean. It, it was it was brutal. Um, you know, there was a reason in those days why the guys wore huge shoulder pads and full face masks. Well, boys, I have two minutes on the clock. Are you ready to play the two-minute drill? All right, let's go. Sure. All righty. Simon, have we recovered yet? Just about. Yeah, just about. I was talking to Dip just before we started recording, and uh, yeah, only just. <laughs> Deepak, is that the craziest game of football you've seen in a while? Uh yeah, the craziest game before that was the, um, was the divisional game against the Giants in the playoffs when Jeff Garcia was quarterback. That was a huge comeback game then, too. Yeah, I remember that game. Simon, do we now keep Jimmy next season for a cash-in on an improved trade value? No. No, no. Let the, Give it to the kid. Deepak, are we the dark horses to win the whole lot? I don't think we're dark horses. I think we're very much on everyone's radars. Uh we're not dark horses. People know who we are. We're noisy, we're loud, and we're over here, and we're going to let you in. And we're having fun. Simon, has Ambry Thomas earned himself a starting spot at corner for the next week? Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I think Ambry Thomas has been bowling up positionally. He's always been very good. He just needed to sort his hands out. And uh, he's making big plays now, and I think he'll get reward next week. Deepak, just how good are our front four, and are we seeing the real Armstead finally? Oh, phenomenal. Are we seeing the real Armstead? I think we see flashes of him in almost every game, but we don't see it all the time. But this front four plays off each other, and they are terrifying. I'm so glad they're ours. Not so- 
Simon, with the emergence of Jawan Jennings and Brandon Ayuk in the last few weeks, along with Debo, do we have our starting wide receiver core for the next few years? I think so, yeah. We touched on it earlier on, didn't we? They're, they've, they're all different, and that's the beauty of them. They've all got different strengths, and um, barring injury, yeah, I don't necessarily think we need to bring anybody else in. And we are out of time. I think we covered quite a bit there, guys. Thanks to Audionautics.com for the music. Thanks to Mark Lyon, Andrew Mitchell, Daryl Nils Hanman, Neil Jepson, Deepak Gohill, Paul McDonald, James Little, Rob Newell, Kev Nyland, Simon Holdsworth, Nathaniel James, Stephen Box, and Graham Ross for all that they do in the group and on the show. Apologies to anyone I may have missed. Thank you to all in the group who continually contribute, whether it's in the game day thread or the sharing of other content. We'd love to have you on the show. Just let us know. You can message any of the admins in the group or email us. Or you can check out the calendar under announcements in the Facebook group and sign up for a date. I'll contact you via Messenger and we'll make further arrangements. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Niner Empire GB and on Facebook, search for the group Niner Empire Great Britain. Don't forget to check out the blog, which is available on your favorite podcast app. You can also email us at Frequency49Show at gmail.com. <laughs>